0: This morning, though, I I thought I would take this opportunity um, to deal with something that I deal with a lot in counseling. And so, if you've ever come to me for counseling, and you don't don't raise your hand, um, some of this, some of this might sound familiar to you, okay? Um, But it's always good to hear it again. All right. Um, But one of the things that I see a lot and I hear a lot, um, whether it be the parents that come to me and they just say my kids are just so angry they're just so upset all the time they barely say a word they come home they huff and they go into their bedroom and then I don't see them until it's dinner time right um but sometimes it's also adults that are coming and they're like I'm just I'm just so angry and upset and and it just feels out of control um And so I wanted to take this morning and just kind of do a a topical message on anger, and talk about where it comes from, biblically, um, what why we have anger uh, in the first place. Uh, I want to talk about the good of anger, but I also want to talk about the bad of anger, and then I want to kind of give you guys a step by step process to help you to understand and see the source of your anger or your kid's anger, so that then we can begin to address it. Because what you're going to see today is anger, some of you go, I can't help, I hear this all the time, I can't help it, I just get angry. You're going to see today, anger is step three. There are two steps before you get to anger that you have a lot of control over. But what happens is most of us don't do the heart work for those first two steps. But I'm also going to show you this morning that anger is not the last step. There's there's something much worse than anger. And so we're going to touch on that as well. Because every human being in this room deals with anger. In a world of disappointments, in a world of sin, whether that's our own sin or other sin against us, Anger is a given. We get angry. You get angry. I get angry. And that shouldn't surprise us that the Bible comes packed with stories and teachings and comments about anger. Because it is so common. God intends us to understand anger and to know how anger problems can be Resolved Now, before we jump into looking at some verses, I, I want to start by giving you uh, a working definition of anger that I'm going to be working from, and we'll put this up on the screen. Um, anger is an active response, OK? Active. That means there is a choice. You don't just get angry, you choose to get angry. Anger is a whole person response. Those of you who have experienced anger, doesn't it just kind of radiate through your whole body, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm I'm angry mentally at you. No. And anger is a response against something. So there's some problem Our anger, in essence, involves a negative moral judgment that we make. So whatever that something is, we're deeming that in a negative moral light. It is less than ideal, right? That person cuts you off in traffic because you are God of the road. That is less than ideal, and and I'm making a moral judgment of God as the road that they should not have cut me off. Our anger involves a judgment against a perceived evil. Now that, that um, definition comes from Dr. Robert Jones. He has a great book uh, called Uprooting Anger, which goes into a lot more detail than I can cover today. Um, but I, and I would encourage you to read that book um, if you can, if this is something that you struggle with. All right, so that's, this is our working definition. I want you to understand, and for those of you taking pictures, I'll post it on Facebook so you can get it later um, in higher resolution. Now, the Bible classifies anger in three categories. There is divine anger. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. There is human righteous anger, and then there's human sinful anger. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about divine anger because we need to understand the purpose of anger and why we even have it in the first place. I'm going to spend maybe just a few minutes on human righteous anger because that doesn't happen very often. But what happens a lot is human sinful anger. So I'm going to spend the most of my time on that part and that subject. All right, so divine anger. God is good and angry. One theologian has observed that 20 different Hebrew words alone in the Old Testament refer to God's anger against evil. And we discover several hundred references in the Bible to God's anger. God is both the most loving and the most angry person in the world. And I would argue that it is because of the love that he has is also why he is so angry. So there's verses and there's again hundreds of them but like Job 49. Job 49 says by the breath of God they perish and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. Right? All throughout scripture you see this divine anger against sin and evil. Remember our definition of anger is, is, is directed at something. And that something for God is sin. And there's a lot of it. And he loves his people. And he hates. He gets angry at that sin. But he does that in a way unlike us. Paul tells us to, to Be angry and sin not. That is the example of God that we are to follow in his divine anger at sin and evil. Now, like that, we we can be righteously angry. There can be things that go against God and what God wants that we should, as people of God, get angry about. When someone murders someone, we should be angry about that. Now, we shouldn't then go murder someone, but, but there is a, a sense in which there is a, a human righteous anger because God says, thou shalt not kill. And so any time a life is taken and we feel that anger inside of us, that, that anger is righteous. But the problem for most of us, and again, this is what I want to spend the most of our time, is it doesn't stay righteous. It turns sinful. So when, when Paul says, be angry and sin not, we are angry and sin a lot. That's more our pattern, right? And so I want to, I want to step you through what happens to a person when they get angry and when they get upset. The first step in this process is a wounded spirit. That's what the Bible would call it a wounded spirit. You see this in Proverbs 18, 14. It says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? So, a wounded spirit. Now, what we call that is hurt feelings. That, that's more the words we would use for that nowadays, right? So, there's, there's something that has happened to us, that has wounded us. And and as those wounds continue to pile up, it creates a problem. Now, there there are lots of ways in which we are wounded, but typically the way we are wounded the most in America, because people aren't literally wounding us, they're not coming up and stabbing us and and, doing all that kind of stuff, but... But we we tend to get wounded by words. That's the biggest way in which a a wounded spirit, hurt feelings happen. And I want to just consider three different ways that our words wound. First, we need to consider the words themselves. Second, the tone of the words. Third, the nonverbal communication that's happening while the words are being delivered. So let's look at those real quick. First, we must consider the words themselves. Our words should be, should, should be given the most emphasis, since the Bible speaks so frequently to their importance. Proverbs 15:28 says, "The heart of the righteous studies how to answer." The heart of the righteous studies how to answer." Proverbs 16:23 The heart of the wise his mouth and, and adds or excuse me the heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. So we we need to first always consider the words we're choosing. So if you're if you're a person who's quick to answer I would encourage you to just take breath. Just start by taking a breath. And think about what you're about to say before you say it. Because so many people are walking around with a wounded spirit because somebody made a quick response and didn't think about what they were saying. Or they didn't think about who they were saying it to. Second, it's not just the words we say. That, that's important and we, there's a huge amount of weight we got to put on that. But we also must watch our tone of voice, how we say it. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 16.21, sweetness of the lips increases persuasiveness. These verses are getting to this idea that the way in which we talk, the tone of our voice makes a huge difference in whether we are wounding with our words or encouraging and building up with our words. Disrespect is, is one of the biggest ways that, we, that our tone of voice comes into play here. The, we, we can give a true answer that is absolutely right, but we can do it in a way that is condescending. Parents, I'll put you on the hot seat for a minute. You're struggling because your kids are angry all the time. Could it be that what you're telling them is absolutely true and absolutely right, but the way in which you are telling them, the tone of voice that you are using, is just communicating disrespect, disrespect, disrespect. And their little spirits are just getting more and more wounded as the day goes on. But that's not the only attitude communicated by tone of voice. I mean, we can also communicate rage by our tone of voice. We can, we can project bitterness through our tone of voice. Vengeance, shame, fear. Trip calls shame and fear some of the power tools of parenting for most people. Those are the power tools that we shouldn't be using, by the way. Shaming our children and causing them to fear us. But that's, that's the easy things to grab, right? You, you did that in front of those people? How could you do that? The effect of tone of voice is so great that some experts believe it to be up to seven times more powerful in certain situations than the words themselves. So not just what we're saying, but how we're saying it. And then third is our nonverbal communication. So much gets communicated without words ever being said. I I was at a training this week, and and I was sitting at a table um, with a guy who works in the youth department of a church and he works with the the boys, the high school boys. And then his counterpart was three tables away and she works with the high school girls. So in their job, they have to work together a lot to resolve conflict and do all that kind of stuff. And every time I would like look up, I would see her making all these faces. And for like the first day, I'm like, why is she making those faces at me? Like, that's so weird. But then I I talked to the guy next to me, and she was actually making the faces to him. And he said, oh yeah, we're used to sitting in meetings and trainings like this, and we have a whole language where we don't ever have to say a word, right? Our our nonverbal communication, it includes our facial expressions, our countenance. Are we smiling or are we frowning? gestures, eye contact. Parents, you probably had that experience. You, you were so, I know, I know I have, I'm just confessing. I was so angry with them, I could not look them in the face. I just wanted to look off and say, this is what you're, go-. you know, I just, I couldn't make eye contact with them. I shouldn't have been talking to them. Until I can get myself right, I, sh- I shouldn't have been trying to address them. Our posture, spatial relationship, right? You ever had that person that's what they call a close talker? (laughs) They come up to you and hey, how you doing? How you doing? How you doing? They didn't say anything wrong, but man, give me some space. All right? Some of you, that was the one good thing y'all liked about COVID. It was like, it was a bubble around me. People didn't come too Close. touch when appropriate. All of these are forms of nonverbal communication that we have to watch and be careful that we are not wounding a spirit by our words, our tone, or our nonverbal communication. Did you know that, that feelings of pride and anger and bitterness, fear, rebellion, can all show on our faces without us even being aware of it. And this is why it's so important for us to do the hard work in our heart. Because you, you may not even realize how your face looks. But it, it's just projecting what's in the heart. So a wounded spirit is the first step. And again, in our context, that normally comes through words. What's said, how it's said, and what it looks like while we're saying it. But the second step from that wounded spirit, before we even get to anger, is bitterness. Bitterness is the next step. If If we don't respond biblically to hurts, and we can do that in two ways. There's two ways in which we can biblically respond to a wounded spirit or to hurt feelings. First would be forgiving or overlooking the offense. Proverbs 19:11 it says good sense makes one slow to anger. And that's rude, isn't it? Those of you who struggle with anger the bible's telling you you don't have good sense. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. 1 Peter 4.8 follows this up and says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Pointing back to this verse in Proverbs. So the first thing we can do is overlook the, the sin. We can overlook the hurt feelings. Now, I've always wondered... How, how do you know if you can overlook something? And, and I was actually with Dr. Jones this week, and we were talking about this, and that question came up. And, and he said, if, if 48 hours, it's still not bothering you, like, like if, if it happened and you know, maybe it made you upset in the moment, but then like two days later you don't even remember it, you can overlook it. The other person that was there said a week. So you pick somewhere between two days and a week. If it's still bothering you after a week, then you need to do the the other option, biblically, of how to deal with a hurt. And that's if we can't overlook the offense, we need to confront the person who hurt us. Luke 17, 3, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. That those are our two options as Christians when our feelings get hurt. And, and listen, they're going to get hurt. We, we were talking about overlooking an offense, and, and one of the guys gave an example of, of a lady in church who got upset at their church, not our church, their church, because she said bye to somebody, as, as that person was walking out the back door, and the person didn't acknowledge her, didn't say, "Bye back, didn't, just didn't acknowledge her. So she did what a lot of church ladies do. Is she got on the phone and called her friend and said, Can you believe sister so-and-so didn't say goodbye to me? What's wrong with her? Is she mad at me? Is she upset with me, you think? Now, can her friend answer any of those questions? So she's one, talking to the wrong person. right? But thankfully, that that lady that she talked to was a godly friend, and she goes, you know, that doesn't sound like her. I'm going to call her. You should call her, but I'm going to call her too. And she calls her, and she checks, and she says, someone had just lowered the boom on me and just was angry and upset with me, and I was... On my way to the car, I didn't even know she said anything to me. Right? So here this lady's thinking it's all about her. Because that's what we do, right? We're the star of the show, if you're honest. I mean, some of you want theme music for your life, just to follow you around and change. Because we, we think it's all about us. And when a person doesn't respond to us, then. It must be because of me. She's mad at me. Or I've done something. Not realizing that this person has a life. And they're interacting with all these other people that have nothing to do with you. We need to go to the person who has offended us. We need to confront them. And and listen, I want to encourage you with this. Because... And I see people get carried away with this all the time, and they do it in a way that only makes the problem worse. Here's just a free piece of advice. Like in that situation that I just gave, go with a question, not a condemnation. Go with, did you hear me say hello to you this morning? Is everything okay? Versus, why didn't you acknowledge me? How rude of you. Which of those would you respond better to? Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. All right, so if we don't do one of those two things biblically, overlook, confront, then what happens is we begin to rehearse the offenses in our mind. Reviewing it over and over and over again, right? And then, if this is an ongoing relationship, new offenses get added. And now, I've got two things, or three things to rehearse, or a hundred things to rehearse. Remember, your children live with you all the time. So they got lots of little things to rehearse in their minds. If you don't teach them parents how to deal with it biblically, it is going to grow into a root of bitterness. And this violates 1 Corinthians 13.5 that says, Love doesn't keep a running account of evil. If you're sitting there at night or in the morning when you wake up and all you're doing is running through all these things that people have done to you, you're violating what it means to love. Whether that's with your spouse or whether that's with your kids or your coworkers, I don't care. The Bible doesn't care. You don't keep an account of wrongdoings. You either overlook it, you cover it, because you realize how much God has forgiven you of, and if you can't do that, you go and confront them. But if we let it fester, if we let it build, it cultivates this, these little wounds in our heart, becomes seeds of hurt, and that matures into a root of bitterness that it talks about in Hebrews 12:15. And so there's a wounded spirit. There's bitterness. Now, after we can't take it anymore, after the offense list is so long, now we choose to respond in anger. We choose to respond in anger. Now, anger has the potential to be good or bad. Righteous or sinful, like we talked about that with divine anger, human righteous anger, or sinful anger. But typically for most of us, we, we struggle with the sinful anger. And it manifests in one of two ways. There's two kind of extremes, if you will. On one end of the spectrum, it's internalization. Holding it in. Some people like to clam up when they get angry. I hear this all the time in marriage counseling. We try to talk about this, but he just, he just shuts down. He won't say anything. He won't fight back. Praise God, because you don't know what he might say. Or do. How about you take a break? Or vice versa. Sometimes the man just wants to fix it. I just want to solve it. I want to move on. I want to get it done. Yeah, some of you know. So we can internalize it. We can hold it in. The other end of that spectrum is we can vent, and we can let it out. Proverbs 29, 11 says, The fool gives full vent to his anger. Again, the Bible's harsh on you all this morning. The fool. St. Dale talking. I love you. The fool gives full vent to his anger. So some people blow up when they get angry, and it just, it just comes out. But remember, I want you to remember, God gets angry. And God has given us the emotion of anger. Let let that sink in for a second. God has given you the emotion of anger. But he always gives it for a purpose. And the purpose is to destroy something. The reason why God is loving and angry is because that anger is directed towards sin. His anger is pointed to destroying sin and evil. So when God gives us anger, it's for the same purpose. It's to destroy something. So now let me ask you a question. If you're a person that tends to internalize your anger, what is getting destroyed? Yeah. You. Because that's the purpose of anger. That's what it does. It destroys. That is is the good design of anger. That's why it's really careful. We have to be really careful where we direct our anger. Now, if you're the kind of person that blows up and you vent your anger towards someone else, then who gets destroyed in that scenario? The other person, right? Mom, dad, you're getting angry at your kids all the time. You're destroying your kids. And like I said, there's something worse than than anger. That's why I said earlier, when I couldn't look my daughters in the eye when I was disciplining them, I didn't need to be disciplining them. They needed discipline. And I, as their father, who loves them, needed to discipline them, but I didn't need to do it in that moment. And I've been guilty of that. I've also been guilty of that tone of voice. Amber calls it work mode. I'm generally very patient very understanding, very kind, but when I get into work mode, we're going to get it done. Right? And, I, and she says, hey, hey, work mode. And I know what that means. I, I, that means watch your tone of voice. Nothing you're saying is wrong, but how you're saying it, so take a step back. What do you suppose God wants us to destroy, to destroy with our anger? The problem, not the person. And, it, and it's important for you to leave here this morning. If you, if you don't leave here with anything else, I mean, I hope you leave with more, but if you don't leave with anything else, leave with the reality that anger is a choice you're making. So many people just write, I can't help it! It just happens. No. There were offenses that you did not deal with biblically. And then you rehearsed those offenses over and over and over again. Those are two active choices that you made. And I get it. Listen, I understand. It feels like you have no choice for anger, but you do. And the more you can step back in the process and work on not having a heart of bitterness or even before that, deal with the offenses as they come up. One way or another. Whether it's overlooking or addressing. Then you'll find you don't choose to be angry as much. God expects us to release our anger under his control toward the actual problem. But like I said, there's something worse than anger. And some of you are long past the angry stage. Some of your kids might be long past the angry stage. And I want to just take a couple minutes to like help you to see this this morning the fourth step in this process is stubbornness some of you aren't angry anymore you're just stubborn first samuel 15 23 rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry You ever, been around, you ever been around somebody who's angry a lot, and then all of a sudden they stop? It, just, it looks like they're not angry anymore. It's not because they dealt with it. They've just given up and become stubborn. The picture of stubbornness here, for any of you who have animals or grew up on a farm, it's, it's that of a cow Pushing in her front hooves into the ground to counteract the person who's trying to pull it <laughs> into a trailer, right? Like that, that's, that is a, a, a good visual of what stubbornness is. It's not blowing around. It's not getting, it's just, I'm digging my heels in. I'm going to I'm die for this, whatever this is. Some of you might find your kids there. They're just stubborn. They're not blowing up all the time anymore. They just don't do anything. We try to, you know, redeem that and make ourselves feel better. We call it set in our ways. I and mean, stubborn. That's what you're stubborn. That's what you are. You're not set in your ways, you're stubborn. And it's from years of being bitter and angry and just going, you know what? It's going to be what it's going to be. This is one of the things that breaks my heart when when I'm doing marriage counseling with a couple. And like, I hear, well, I'm just set in my ways. This is just how I am. No. If you call yourself a Christian, the gospel changes you daily. No Christian should be set in their ways. We get a new heart. God changes us. This step, and some of you may be sitting here and you're like, man, this sounds like some of my kids. I want to encourage you, jump on it now before the last step. Because the last step is full-blown rebellion. Rebellion is the final step in this decline. A rebellion person is one whose characteristics have gone beyond that of an angry man and have assumed the characteristics of a proverbial fool that we read in Proverbs. Let me, let me read you just a couple quick character. I don't, we're not, there's so many of them, I didn't put this up on the screen now. Um. Proverbs 18:2 will not discuss any viewpoint but my own. Proverbs 18:6 provokes others to strife and anger by his words. 18:7 smart mouth usually gets him in trouble. Proverbs 17:25 grieves his parents. 17:25 hurts his parents. 23 is quarrelsome or contentious. Proverbs thirteen nineteen hates to depart from evil. In other words, they just enjoy hanging out with evil. Proverbs fourteen eight, they're deceitful. Proverbs fourteen sixteen, they're arrogant and careless. Proverbs twenty-nine nine can't resolve conflicts. Proverbs twenty-nine eleven gives full vent to his anger. I mentioned that one earlier. So at this stage of rebellion, they're just. They're just, they're gone. And some of you have experienced the heartache of that, of having that rebellious child. But, but I, listen, I want to encourage you this morning. I've also just given you the tools to help step them back. But it, it's going to take some soul searching on your part because you may need to see where you contributed to the offenses. And be open and honest and confess and repent of those things to them. And and pray that God would bring them back out of this state of rebellion. Out of the state of being a fool. Back into wisdom. The Bible is all about anger. When God looks at evil, his anger does not turn away, as Isaiah repeated over and over. In Romans, Paul mentions God's anger and its effects more than 50 times, beginning with the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice that? It's directed toward the ungodliness. And the unrighteousness of men. He's addressing the problem. John says that the wrath of God abides on whoever will not believe in the Son of God for mercy. Anger was and is and will remain on their heads. You can't understand God's love if you don't understand His anger. Because He loves He's angry at whatever harms. But notice the way God's children experience his anger. His anger is expressed on their behalf as supremely tender love. The Bible is consistent about this truth. Anger, by definition, is against things with an intent to destroy So how can God's wrath become something God's children love and trust rather than something we fear or dislike? If if you're here this morning and you're fearing God's anger, I would argue you don't fully understand the gospel. As a believer, we should no longer fear His wrath. We should instead love it. In what way is God, God's anger an expression of how he is for us rather than the expression of how he is against us? Well, the good news is always presented in terms of how love and anger come to be resolved. God expresses his love for his people by many ways. But I, I want to close this morning by looking at two ways Two promises that he gives to believers about his anger and how he is resolving it. First, in love, the anger that our sin deserved fell on Jesus, not on us. In steadfast love, he freely offered his innocent son to bear the wrath that you and I rightly deserved. And again, God's anger punishes and destroys, giving our sin its due. But that blow... Taken by Jesus. The Savior of sinners. The Lamb of God. Sacrificed on our behalf. And because Jesus loves, He offered Himself to bear the just anger of God. And so, first, we see that the anger that our sin deserves. It fell on Jesus and not on us. That's how I can say experiencing His anger as a believer is is seeing it as a tender act of love. Because Jesus took all of that anger from me. But second... In love, God's anger works to disarm the power of your sin. In the the present and ongoing basis, God deals with our own indwelling sinfulness. The Holy Spirit pours out God's love in you as as a burning fire against evil. Purifying us. Sanctifying us. He doesn't destroy you. Like, think about that for a second. You, you and I all understand we are still sinners. E- even though we are redeemed by his grace, until I take my last breath, I am still a sinner. I still battle. As Paul says, there's, a, there's an old man and a new and it's and it's battling inside of me. Now think about that, and then imagine perfect, pure, holy. God, as the Holy Spirit, touching your body, what should happen to you? We should disintegrate immediately. And yet, because of his love, it empowers us rather than smiting and killing us. Do you see how God's love for us, even through his anger is a beautiful picture of his love for us he doesn't destroy us but he does begin destroying the problem which is the sin that is still inside of you and he begins to make you anew instead fast love God remakes us. He does it not by tolerating our sin, but by hating our sin in ways we learn to love. Because that's that's the good news of the gospel this morning. That, That we were enemies of God. Full of every reason for him to be angry and bring down his wrath upon us. And yet, when we put our faith in what Jesus has done, taking that wrath for us, taking that anger for us, we receive new life. Is that amazing? That's why I say God is the most loving and the most angry person in the world. But even for us as believers, that anger becomes something that we can grow to love and not fear. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son to die for us so that when we put our faith in what he has done, you save us. And Father, as you continue to pour out your spirit upon us in the work of sanctification, God, I I pray that you would help us all to begin to embrace this aspect of your anger working for our good inside of our very own hearts. And Lord, I pray for the families that are here today. Maybe upon hearing this, the way we talked about it, they realize that there are reasons for their kids' rebellion. Reasons that they need to confess and repent of. And Father, I, I, I pray you would give them the power to do that. The courage to do that. And Lord, for all of those young parents here this morning. Oh Lord, I pray that the offenses would be minimized because of this sermon this morning. That they would hear you this morning. And the way that we love and care for our children would be different. So that we don't raise stubborn and rebellious children, but instead children that love you. They love wisdom. And for those. Teenagers and kids in the room, Father, I pray for them. That, that they would address the, the hurt feelings that they have biblically and not let it get to a place of bitterness. But if if they have that, they would confess that this morning, to you and to their parents, and begin to have conversations gospel conversations about what it means to confess and repent of our sins and to turn to you. Father, I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.